This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's feature award-winning Analytics podcast after having Ryan Talbot on Tuesday's episode of Talk Buffalo Bills and the Erie County Executive Mark Polencars on Wednesday's show. I am flying solo today, debuting a brand new segment called 12 Topic Friday. And what I'm doing is taking 12 different topics and discussing all of them. Plenty of Buffalo Bills stuff, little Buffalo Sabres stuff. Got some Tom Brady, some New York Yankees, some podcasting, some politics. And then the last question, and I'm going to let you chew on this until you listen to the end. If you were to relocate from Buffalo, if you live in Buffalo and you're leaving, what are five businesses that you most would like to take with you? Again, chew on that. Plenty more. Going to get to that in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference has literally been remarkable night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls, decide it looks pretty, and call it a day. It might look the part, but it's not going to improve your sound. Visit Audemute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound, do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audemute.com. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host. Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? Episode 201, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for continuing to listen and download the podcast, rate and review, all that stuff. Really means a lot to me. Appreciate you very much. Going to do something. Completely different on today's episode and trying something new out, a brand new segment, and I'm going to call it 12 Topic Friday. A little bit of the break from the typical, normal, long-form interview with one guest. What I'm doing is taking a dozen topics or questions. Many of these were suggested by listeners of the show or people who follow me on Twitter, also a couple from Facebook as well. And I mean, long story short, I'm just going to talk about a dozen different topics on this segment, kind of breaking it up a little bit. Like I said, I do typically Tuesday, Friday shows and I have a guest on and we talk 
for an hour, whatever have you, give or take an hour or so. And I kind of want to break it up a little bit every now and then. For starters, I mean, to be completely honest with you, it's tough to go out and get two guests each and every single week. That's difficult. Plus, even when I do, it can be a little monotonous at times. Meaning, in terms of content, in terms of what we're talking about, like for an example, I can have a football guy in the podcast. I'll give you an example. Like I have Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan show. I love talking football with Bruce. He's one of the best Buffalo Bills guys out there that I know. But here's the thing, and it's the only downside of having these type of interviews is we're only talking football. You know what I mean? This segment that I'm doing here, 12 Topic Fridays, it gives me a chance to cover a lot of different things in one episode. And I kind of like doing that, at least sometimes anyway. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw this out there today, see how it goes. And maybe it sticks and I do it one or two times a month. Maybe not. We'll see. I'll certainly get some feedback from the listeners of the show. And I'm always down to try new things. It's part of the fun of being a content creator, of having a podcast, is that you're constantly trying out new stuff and seeing what works. So what I'm going to do is, I ha- again, I have 12 topics or questions, whatever way you want to label them. And they're already here, hidden on sound pads. And also, so what you hear is going to be like the podcast version of Surrey. It's completely computer generated. It's a, it's a female voice, computerized, spinning out the topics. And then I'll talk on them. Again, it's not really a, a groundbreaking concept here. You guys are all smart, so you know exactly where I'm going with this. And again, let's just get right into it because I've talked enough here. These will be Bill's stuff, Saber stuff, and then I'll always have a couple other things sprinkled in as well. Obviously, majority will be Bill's and Saber's because this is primarily a Buffalo-themed sports podcast. So on that note, let's just get right down to it and I'll play the first one right now. Here it goes. Prioritize the guys the Buffalo Bills should be trying to re-sign before or during free agency and also prioritize a few guys under contract who should be getting extensions. All right, like I said, as you could tell, that is like the podcast version of a story right here. So anyway, Bill's free agency prioritize the guys they should resign. There's four, I would consider four Bill's prime free agents, guys that are the most discussed. And for me, it's a pretty easy decision. When number one, it would definitely be Shaq Lawson. I really like the way he played last year. Shaq's one of those guys who didn't come into the league and start dominating right away. That happens sometimes. It takes guys a couple of years to really develop and become a good all-around NFL player. And I certainly think that's been the case with Shaq. I think he's always been a good run defender. And I think over this past year, he became a, a total package. I think he became a very above average pass rusher as well. So I like him a lot. I really would like to have him back. I know he's not a Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean draft pick. He's from the Rex Ryan era, but I'll tell you what, I really like him a lot. So. He's number one plus, and I'll talk about this a couple times as we talk about these guys. The Bills are in good cap shape, and they were a 10 and 16 last year. I would prefer to take free agency in the draft. Let's work on the positions of weakness right now and keep the core of the strength of this team. I'm good with Shaq and Jerry Hughes as defensive ends. Trent Murphy is a backup. Now, I know there's been a lot of talk out there that Trent Murphy may get cut. Still could happen because the Bills could save over $8 million if they did. I would have said that was a certainty if we would have had this conversation maybe three, four months ago. But let's not forget something. Trent Murphy hasn't exactly been a pillar of health during his time in Buffalo. 
But at near the end of last season, he was healthy. And I thought he was outstanding. He might have been the best player on the defensive line for the Bills down the stretch. I think he had like two sacks in his, the season finale, something like that. I know he had two sacks against Houston. He was very good. So I'm good with Trent Murphy being back. And if you have Shaq, Hughes, and Murphy, maybe you supplement a fourth defensive end in free agency. Or you could that doesn't exclude you from drafting somebody even early. Hell, even with the 22nd pick. And then you can get rid of Trent Murphy at that point. But anyway, I don't want to get too off track here. I like Shaq Lawson a lot, so I want him back. He's priority one. After that, I would go Quinn in Spain. Did not know. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought for some reason when the Bills signed him last year to a one-year deal, I thought he was 32, 33 years old. Guy's only 29. He played well. Didn't give up a sack. And again, I just said this with Shaq. The offensive line, I'm good with keeping that continuity there. I'm, I'd be perfectly happy to run the offensive line back. Let's run it back from last year. I like Feliciano in Spain at guard. Mitch Morris is one of the better centers in the NFL. Now, he wasn't fully healthy for a lot of last year, and I think that showed, but I think it'll be better this year. I think Deion Dawkins became a star at left tackle. And with Cody Ford, I know a lot of people would rather see him play guard. To some extent, I'm among them as well. But unlike, say, the Buffalo Sabres and their front office and their decision-making, I kind of have faith in this organization right now. If they think Cody Ford's good enough to play tackle, well, then you got my vote for it. Let Cody Ford go in there. Again, he's a second-round pick. He's not like a top-10 guy. There's no lock. He even has to be a starter. He's got to go out and earn it. Him and Inseki, I'm all right with that at right tackle for now. I like Spain. So, And again, we're in good cap shape. Run it back. Now, if Spain leaves, I'd be willing to bet Ford slides in the guard. But now you're in the market for another starting offensive tackle. But if Spain's back, I think the offensive line can be set. So he's two. Number three, Kevin Johnson. I want him back, if for no other reason, to push Levi Wallace again. In fact, frankly, I think Kevin Johnson's the better corner. And while it doesn't exclude you from getting another corner in free agency or in the draft, whether that's early, mid-rounds, whatever, Kevin Johnson in the mix gives you a lot more options. Whereas I feel if they don't re-sign Kevin Johnson and he goes somewhere else, I don't like Levi Wallace being locked in any number two corner spot. So they'll definitely have to go out and do something in free agency or the draft if the if they don't bring back Kevin Johnson, which they might do anyway. And then last, I would say Jordan Phillips, and that's no slight towards Jordan Phillips. I like him a ton. Nine and a half sacks last year, second most among any defensive tackle in the NFL. And I'll tell you what, total disrespect to, at least by the media, I've seen Pro Football Focus is the biggest one, and there's a couple other ones too. I've seen top 50, even top 100 list, and he's not even ranked in the top 100 of upcoming free agents, which is complete bullshit. Guy has earned himself a payday. I think the Bills know that, and I think that's part of the reason why they're going to let him test the market. And odds are somebody's going to give him a big payday, and if he gets it, he should leave. Now, I don't think the Bills should be the team to give him that big payday. Again, nothing against Jordan Phillips, but I really like Ed Oliver. It's more about me liking Ed Oliver, and I think the organization saying, we took him ninth overall last year, and he's going to be a big star. They kind of split reps last year, which, by the way, even more remarkable that Phillips put up the numbers he did on a bunch of, uh, you know, only, what, 40, 50% at most of the reps. Ed Oliver was becoming a beast. By the end of the year, he was one of the best players on the team. And I'm thinking year two, he's going to be ready to roll. So let him be the starter. Get someone behind him that's going to be much cheaper so he can spend more money somewhere else. And I, again, I like Jordan Phillips a lot, and I hope he gets paid. And if the Bills put it this way, though, 
if the Bills do want him back, I'm not going to complain about it because I like him a lot. But hopefully if they do, it's at a, a decent payday. In terms of guys, veterans that are going to be up for extensions, how we're making, how they should go. Number one for me is Deion Dawkins. He's your left tackle. And I thought he was a stud last year, which is kind of funny because a year ago or so, man, I didn't even know if he should be a starter. I thought he was awful in 2018. I mean, that entire offensive line was pathetic in 2018, but Deion Dawkins was one of them. He looked good last year. He's your left tackle. You got no problems with him and you got to pay him. So he's one. Matt Milano is going to be another one. And by the way, this will be Dawkins' last year. Ditto for Matt Milano, who I got at number two when I'm power ranking because I just really like the thought of Milano and Tremaine Edmonds together out there, 80, 90% of, uh, of the reps. And Milano's a good playmaker. He didn't play good against Houston, though, in the playoffs. But I don't think that should hurt his contract going forward. Pay the guy. I like him a lot. Three, I would say Jordan Poyer. He is far. And again, he's another guy who's going to be going into his last year. He has far exceeded what his salary is. I think his salary is like $3.6 million or something like that. There's other guys, other safeties in the league, top-tier safeties, making $10 million or more. Jordan Poyer deserves a lot more money, and uh, I would extend him now. And then last is Trey White, who is the best player of these, by the way. He's probably the best player on the team. But he's only going in the year four. You got that fifth year, that option, which obviously the Bills would definitely use if need be. That's not to say that I don't want to extend Trey White like yesterday. I'm just saying he doesn't. There's other people whose contract is going to be up first. So that's why I kind of would deal with them first. Eventually, Trey White is going to be the highest paid corner in the NFL and probably deserves to be the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. One other footnote real quick here too. Of those guys, and if I'm concerned about any contract holdouts, Jordan Poyer concerns me a little bit. Now I know his wife. Rachel Bush, everyone knows who she is. She was kind of making a little bit of noise on Twitter earlier this week that if he doesn't get paid what he deserves, he's going to go elsewhere or something like that. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm paraphrasing her words a little bit here, but I'm concerned about that sentiment because again, he's going into his last year. He deserves more money. I don't know if he deserves top of the line money, but he definitely deserves a raise. And I don't know, it's just something that makes me worry that if somebody's going to hold out, it feels like to me, it would be Jordan Poyer. So I really hope they get something done. Again, him and Micah Hyde, quite possibly the best safety tandem in the entire NFL, certainly up there in the conversation. I'm all about keeping this nucleus together. All about that. All right, what's up next? Year three. Is this year make or break for Josh Allen? If he doesn't take another step in 2020, Will it be time to start looking elsewhere at quarterback? I don't think it's make or break for Josh Allen unless he completely regresses and bombs badly going into year three. I think the organization is a lot more patient and has a lot more faith in Josh Allen than certainly the national media, probably the local media, and definitely more than a lot of Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills fans. Let's just say that, okay? I think they like where he's at in his career. His numbers last year were decent. Threw for 3,089 yards, 20 touchdowns. Not very good. Nine interceptions, 
Not bad for a starter over last over a full season. So he didn't turn the ball over that much, at least through the year anyway. And he upped his completion percentage a little bit from his rookie season was only 52.8. Got it up to 58.8 in year two. That's a nice 6% uh, improvement in accuracy. And then, of course, on the ground, he's a big threat. One of the biggest in the NFL at quarterback position. 631 yards, eight touchdowns. So there was some improvement, and not some, there was decent improvement in year two from year one. In year three, I don't know how much more he's going to improve. I mean, look, is he going to be, he's never going to be Drew Brees, okay? 58.8 is a completion percentage. I don't ever see him completing 64, 65% of his passes. He's just not that guy. I don't see him throwing the ball for 4,500 yards and 34 touchdowns either. It just He's just not that kind of quarterback. He's just not. His goal, let's make more plays. Let's, you know, cut down on turnover. Let's throw a better deep ball, by the way, because he was terrible on the deep passes last year. And continue to try to limit the turnovers, especially the fumbles. The fumbles were a big problem too. Anyway, I don't want to get off track from the from the topic here. Year three. Will the Bills move on if if he's bad? I don't think so unless he's horrifically bad. I really don't. But let me, I will say this one thing, okay? And again, I'm not anti-Josh Allen at all. This is with any quarterback in the NFL, whether it's, well, so the guys came in, but like say Sam Darnold or let's say even Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. In today's NFL, it's far easier to move on from a quarterback than it used to be primarily because of a rookie salary cap. You know, back in the day, a guy like Sam Bradford or Matt Stafford, when they got drafted, they got paid so much guaranteed money that you were stuck with that guy. He was untradeable. And if you cut him, you'd have so much dead cap space that it it just wasn't worth doing. In today's NFL, Josh Allen's going in the year three. Let's just say that he does bomb for whatever reason. Let's say he bombs. And he takes a big step back and you look at this roster and you're like, man, this, this is a good team. This is a playoff team. Why did the bills only go seven and nine last year? Kind of like how I feel about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. The bills only go seven and nine. Well, because Josh Allen was terrible. So let's just say that they do want to move on for him. Not hard. They can get rid of him after next year. Won't kill the cap. And again, in today's NFL, you draft a quarterback. He ain't the one. Go draft another one. So can they move on from him after year three? Yes, rather easily. Will they? I very, very highly doubt it. He's going to have to be absolutely freaking horrible for that to happen. All right, what's next? It was reported on the NFL Network that Frank Gore, 37 years old, does not plan on retiring and is already training for the 2020 season. Should the Buffalo Bills try to re-sign him? Nah, I don't think so. And look, I love Frank Gore. He's a Hall of Fame guy. I was very happy last year when he signed with the Buffalo Bills. Didn't realize it at the time because it was confusing when the Bills signed him last year because they had Shady already. Didn't know what was going on, but as it turns out, Brandon Bean had a very brilliant plan and I thought it played out very well. I thought Frank Gore was decent on the field last year, especially early on. I think he kind of faded a little bit there down the road. But more importantly, he was a great mentor for Devin Singletary. And that's where I go back to the the brilliant plan of Brandon Bean last year. 
He knew he wanted to get a rookie. And in doing so, he knew that he wanted to get a pro's pro, a guy like Frank Gore to really help mentor him on and off the field. And I thought Frank Gore was very good in that role. But having said that, 37 years old, he slowed down significantly as the year went on. And frankly, I think the Bills could do a lot better. I really do. All right, what's next? The Bills tried to land tight end Greg Olson, but he went somewhere else. Given that happened, do you see the Bills going after another notable guy once free agency starts? Very fair question. Very good topic here. First, let's address Greg Olson and what I think that means. Give me one or two things, or both. A, they're not at all satisfied with Tyler Croft being the veteran in the room, and they wanted to upgrade that. It could also mean that they, while they like Dawson Knox in some ways, based off his rookie year, maybe Sweeney to a lesser degree, that they don't feel Dawson Knox is ready to be that quote-unquote undisputed number one tight end on this roster. It can mean one of them. It can mean both of them. My gut tells me that it's both of them. I think, first of all, we all know if the Bills were to cut Tyler Croft, they could save over $5 million. The way his contract was structured last year when he signed a three-year contract with the Bills, which was for a decent amount of money, kind of more than most of us expected. But the language of the contract was pretty crafty by the Bills. They were able to get out from under it after one year. They felt like he wasn't going to be worth it. Now, in fairness to Tyler Croft, he was not healthy last year, but kind of been a problem with him. So I think Olsen was a target because of that, of Croft, but also because I loved, I don't love, all right, maybe love's a strong word. I like Dawson Knox. I like the way he looked as a rookie. At times, he was dominant. He had that, I've heard the comparisons to uh, Jeremy Shockey. He has that kind of skill set to him. But do you trust him? That's the issue going in the year two because he had some big time drops. You know what? That's not even the biggest thing. If you remember back to that Houston game, you know, there's a lot of excuses, a lot of, not excuses, a lot of reasons the Bills ended up losing that game against Houston. But if you go back to overtime, that designed sweep by Josh Allen on the right side, it was Dawson Knox who missed the block on that safety. Can't remember the safety's name off the top of my head. If he makes that block, Josh Allen, at worst, is in field goal range and they probably beat Houston and they go on to face Kansas City in the divisional round. Now, look, I'm not at all saying this. I'm not anti-Dawson Knox at all. I like him a lot. But the point that they were trying to get Greg Olson to come in is a, it's a notable point. Maybe that's kind of like the Frank Gore thing, too. Last year with Devin Singletary, maybe Dawson Knox needs a guy like Olson. But anyway, it's a, it doesn't matter because he went to Seattle. Going into free agency, the, the topic is, do I think the Bills will go after another tight end? I don't know. It, it's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, you got Austin Hooper and Hunter Henry, two very skilled, talented tight ends out there. They're going to cost a lot of money, but if the Bills want to be aggressive, they have plenty of money to spend, right? Does Josh Allen, how much is the tight end position going to be a factor in a Josh Allen offense with the passing game? I guess that's what it comes down to. Of the two, I'd love to have Hunter Henry for the record. But I don't know. I, I know that's a generic answer saying I don't know. One thing I don't see 
is them taking a rookie in the draft anytime early. Again, they just took Knox and Sweeney last year, so that's not going to happen. So they're either going to go out and try to sign an elite tight end. Eric Ebron, maybe he's not elite, but he's definitely above anything they have right now on the roster. So I could see them bringing in somebody, and I can eventually see Tyler Croft being out. What's next? As the Buffalo Bills head into free agency soon, who do you think are the best free agent fits out there that the team can sign? Obviously, the salary cap is in Buffalo's favor. Salary cap is very much in Buffalo's favor. They're third in the league with cap dollars to be able to spend. So I guess the philosophy before we talk about fits is how does this team want to spend this money? If they have every opportunity to be aggressive, and if you want to be aggressive, you can certainly make the case for it. The Bills were 10 and 6 last year. They're a playoff team. They have a lot of guys on cheap contracts right now. That won't be the case in a year or two, but they do right now. You got plenty of money. You could go out. We just talked about Hooper. We talked about Henry. You can go out. You can sign one of those tight ends. You can sign a big time receiver. You can spend a lot of money and sign a corner or a defensive end. And you're still going to be in good shape when it comes to the cap. So I don't think spending money is going to be an issue if that's what they want to do. It's going to be what's Brandon Bean's philosophy, which I continue to think is going to be, as it should be, retain literally as many as your own guys as you can and continue to build through the draft. In terms of fits, all right, it's no secret the Bills are going to address wide receivers, right? They got John Brown, they got Beasley, Cole Beasley, and they pretty much got nobody else, okay? And I'm not, you know, uncovering any rocks here. I'm not breaking any news. We all know this. The Bills are going after a receiver, whether it's free agency, whether it's a draft, very likely could be both. In fact, it should be both. But in terms of free agency right now, we're talking about fits for the Bills. I talked about this on the podcast uh, just, I think it was Tuesday with Ryan Talbot from uh, NewYorkUp.com. I like Rashard Perryman a lot. But before that, let me say this too. Amari Cooper, I don't see Dallas letting him go. I think A.J. Green, a guy who everyone thinks, or as they should, would be a good fit for the Bills. He's not coming because I I don't think Cincinnati's going to let him go. They're drafting Burrow. They're going to tag A.J. Green. Emmanuel Sanders isn't the other big-name receiver. But he's 32 years old, and I don't really think he's a good fit for this team. In terms of a fit, I like Rashad Perryman a lot. I talked about this earlier this week. He was kind of a bust first-round pick in 2015 with Baltimore. Three shitty years there. Didn't do much in Cleveland or Baltimore either. But then he comes to Tampa last year and didn't really get much of an opportunity to play. But Chris Godwin went down near the end of the year over the last five games. And I saw most of these games. Perriman, he was excellent. I like him a lot. He's 6'2", good speed, get the ball. I think he'd be a good fit. You get a guy like him, I think you can get him on a reasonable contract. kind of something like they paid John Brown, maybe a three-year deal at $9 million a year or something like that. You can get out of it after one or two years if you want. And that doesn't preclude you whatsoever from going out and getting a wide receiver in the first round if that's what you want to do. So I like Rashard Perryman a lot. He's probably the best fit for me. Uh, Devin Funches could be interesting, big guy. Obviously ties with McDermott during the years in Carolina. He played with Indy last year. Robbie Anderson, in terms of talent, is a great fit for this team. He could do everything that the Bills need him to do, but the problem with him is I think he's going to be way too expensive. Somebody's going to give him a lot of money. And then in culture, it's going to be an issue character-wise. He's had a lot of shit happen to him. 
off the field. I originally was pretty high on him, not knowing or remembering at least at the time that he had some off field shit and that didn't go over well. So I don't see that happening. So anyway, I like Rashard Perriman as, as a receiver a lot. And then a running back. I'm so high on Jordan Howard, Philadelphia Eagles. I love this guy. I think he would be the perfect piece for this team to play behind Devin Singletary. I really do. To me, he's an upgraded version. I said this earlier this week too. He's an upgraded 2019 Frank Gore. He came over from the Bears to Philly last year. He has a lot of production. He ran for a thousand yards twice with Chicago, nearly a third time. Went to Philly last year, ran for over 500 yards, backed up, especially near the end of the year as he took over Miles Sanders, a rookie very much along the lines of Devin Singletary. I think a guy like Howard can come here and he can run for 500 yards as a backup. I really like him a lot. To me, that's a no-brainer. There's bigger name running backs out there, but you're going to spend a lot of money on them. I'm talking guys like Eckler and Melvin Gordon, maybe Kenyon Drake. Good bats. Don't need them. I don't need them, man. I got Devin Singletary. Very high on the kid. I like him a lot. Jordan Howard, perfect running back. Uh, defensive end, let's just say, if they lose Shaq Lawson, maybe you go out and you spend some good money. Go get yourself a Dante Fowler or and Eric Armstead. I like them a lot. Again, won't be cheap. And then corner, Bradley Roby, maybe, if Kevin Johnson leaves. I think, by the way, cornerback could be a position in the draft where don't be shocked, especially, actually, even if they did take Kevin Johnson, don't be shocked if the Bills go corner in round one, especially if they go on and get a wide receiver in free agency. All right, what's next? What would it take for the Bills to move up from 22? and get one of the draft's best three wide receivers, Jerry Judy, C.E. DeLam, or Henry Ruggs. Very difficult. Very difficult. If things play out the way most early mock drafts are saying, not impossible, but let's just, for the sake of discussion, go through that real quick. So they're at 22 right now, the Bills are drafting, and let's just say, realistically, without giving up the farm, because if I move up, I'm not trying to give up a number one next year in 2021 or anything like that. Nothing crazy. I want to do this draft sticking with picks from 2020 only because the Bills have nine. I don't think they're going to use all of them. So let's go that route. Let's say realistically they want to go up from 22 to 15 because I would say pick 15 is where you might have the best chance where one of these three guys might still be on the board. Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, which for the record, very good chance none of them are around. But if you look at it the other way, this is such a deep class that somebody at 11 or 12 might want to take that second or third defensive end or corner off the board and come back in two, round two and get a wide receiver. So let's not say it's impossible. So if the Bills want to go to 22 to 15 and you go by the draft chart, which admittedly is very outdated, I don't know if any teams actually use it anymore, but we'll use that for reference. It's about 270 points, okay? The Bills currently own 22 and pick 54 with their first two picks. You want to get to 15, it would almost certainly cost the Bills their first pick and their second to get up to 15, and then maybe they can get a fourth back as well. So you're talking giving up your first and your second round to move up seven spots, and then the Bills would get maybe a fourth round pick, not a fifth round back as well. Do you do that? I don't know. And by the way, at 15, maybe because it's like a 50-point difference on the draft chart, you could probably move up to 14 as well. So in terms of compensation, yeah, you're looking at a first and a second to get the, that 15th, 14th pick and something mid to later rounds back for you as well. You got to look at the teams. Denver's at 15. 
they could use a receiver. They're probably, I wouldn't be surprised if they took one. Um, but I could also see them trading back. I would say Tampa's at 14. That's as high as I think you realistically can get. They could definitely be willing to move back and stock up on some picks. So it is there. If you're willing to pay that price, if you want to give up that second round pick without giving up anything in 2021, I'm talking, it could be there. I think it's as high as they can go, though. Even at 13, Indianapolis is at 13, and they probably want one of these three guys more than the Bills do right now. So I think Indy would be out. So yeah, sure. Compensation-wise, that it's possible. I personally don't think the Bills are going to do that, nor should they, unless, I mean, they're head over heels obsessed in love with one of those three guys, because if they want a guy at 22, they could get one. And by the way, that's not to say the Bills at 22, the fourth receiver will be on the board. He might not, because between 15 and 21, one or two more of these receivers can go. But I mean, you got Justin Jefferson, you got LaVishka Chenault, you got Jalen Rager, you got Denzel Mims. Any of those guys are, are first-round talents as far as I'm concerned. I'm pretty sure the Bills probably feel the same way. So there'll be guys there. I don't know that I want to give up that second-round pick to be able to get one of the top three, but I certainly would not rule it out. Next! Where do you think Tom Brady is going to end up going to? And if he leaves New England like many are predicting, do you think Bills fans should be happy? Oh, this is such a fascinating topic. I have thought all along that he's going to end up back in New England when it's all said and done. I think he's just living for this attention right now, to be honest with you. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but I, I have felt like that's the case. However, there's enough credible reports out there, and I'm not talking from blogs or rumor mongers out there saying that it, these are credible reports from credible reporters that there's a very good chance that Tom Brady does in fact leave. So it at least has me thinking now that it's not a, it's not inevitable anymore that Tom Brady's going to end up back with New England. If he leaves, Tennessee, the Raiders, and San Francisco are the rumors out there. I really like, and it is very fascinating, admittedly, the 49ers scenario really gets me the most because they could very easily cut Jimmy Garoppolo would only cost them like $4.2 million on the cap, or they could trade them. That would open up $22 million in the cap. So they could do what they want with Jimmy G, and it won't hurt them. And of course, you got the scenario where Brady could go to San Francisco, and then Jimmy G could end up back with New England. Anyway, in terms of a fit with the 49ers, you got George Kittle there. Everyone knows how much Tom Brady loves an elite tight end. Uh Maybe if Tom Brady goes there, that makes Emmanuel Sanders resign. Uh, Debo Samuel, best receiver on the team, probably. Kendrick Bourne, all right, pretty good. So, and obviously they're a running game. They're a running team, I should say. Great defense. Fit-wise, if he's trying to win a Super Bowl, I think San Francisco would be the best team he can go to. It's no quite. I mean, they were in a Super Bowl last year. They were a couple good Jimmy G passes away from being Super Bowl champions, frankly. And it gets you out of the AFC, which is why I know Tennessee would be the favorite, as they should be because of Rabel, and they were in the championship game last year, and Brady probably, even at 42, will be 43, is an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill. Strong running game, pretty good receivers. I like A.J. Ron a ton. Good defense. Again, Vrabel. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you can make the argument that he wants to win. Now, if he goes to the Raiders, 
that's about everything else except winning because I don't think Tom Brady going to the Raiders is going to turn that franchise around. Of course, going to Vegas, big attraction, close to L.A. I see all the reasons why. That's a Hollywood kind of move. The only reason why I don't see Tennessee winning, if Tom Brady wants to win a championship, look. Oh, another thing too with the Raiders, you're going to go against Mahomes twice a year. You're not, you're not winning that division. You know, you're not, you're not playing for first. You're not trying to win that division because you know you're not going to. You got Kansas City and Baltimore in the AFC. I think they're the two best teams in the NFL right now. So, you know, Tom Brady going to Tennessee, does that put them over them? I don't know. But anyway, Tennessee and San Francisco are going to be the two. I talked earlier this week about Tampa Bay being a dark horse. I still feel like they should be. Great receivers on this team, Evans and Godwin. You're talking Howard and Brake, two good tight ends. Lots of talent on this team. Lots of firepower. Bruce Arians is a good coach. I'm sure he would put a system around that works for Tom Brady. They got some pieces on defense. They got a lot of cap room. They can add to it. They got the 14th pick of the draft. So Tampa Bay is my dark horse. But if I was a betting man, it's got to be Tennessee or San Francisco. All right, no football talk. What's next? A week ago, sure seemed Jason Botterill's job was safe. Since then, the Buffalo Sabres have lost four road games in a row and their season is once again over by early March. Does this guy deserve a fourth year? No. No. This isn't debatable to me. And it's crazy how things turn. I had Joe Yurden from The Athletic on and Buffalo Sabres beat reporter, and I like him a ton. I respect the hell out of Joe. He was on the podcast about a week and a half ago. It was actually, it was the day after the NHL trade deadline. And I know why he was saying what he was saying. And he's not the only one. People generally felt this way at the time. The Sabres, I think they were like seven, three and one in their last 10. And it got into within six points of a playoff spot. They went out and traded for Wayne Simmons and um, Cahoon, Dominic Cahoon. Anyway, the conversation came to Bottrell and Joe said that he thinks his job's safe, short of an absolute dumpster fire at the end of the season, his job was safe. Now, I'll give Joe the benefit of the doubt because he did mention, you know, a co- epic collapse at the end. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Meaningful games in March. Jason Bottrell said that shit over and over and over again during his press conference. Meaningful games in March. That's why they went out and got a Wayne Simmons. Well, guess what? Meaningful games in March ended in the beginning of March because as Surrey said or whatever the hell, I end up naming this computer robot who's spinning out these topics. They go on the road, tough stretch, see what they're all about. They lose all four. Four in a row. They go from six points to 12 back. Blink of an eye. Bam. Season over. 12 or not. Nine straight years, I should say. No playoffs. I was thinking 12 points behind Toronto. Nine straight years. No playoffs. And here's the worst part. And this is why this is an easy answer for me. No end in sight. When does it end? with the Buffalo Sabres. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Are you seeing something that I don't? Besides Dylan Cousins, is he going to save the franchise by himself? Because outside of that, I don't see much light at the end of the tunnel. That's not to say there aren't many prospects. There's not a lot to excite you about this organization. They're stuck in neutral, if not going backwards. Meaningful games in March. 
First of all, I mean, it's been discussed ad nauseum, but the Ryan O'Reilly trade alone should get Jason Bottrell fired. Not just for trading O'Reilly. <laughs> because what is the problem with the Sabres? The biggest one of many. No second line center. Ryan O'Reilly is literally that guy. But they got a shitty return for him. That makes it even worse. Berglund, Zabaka, Tage Thompson. I don't remember what the hell else they got. Crap. Terrible. Horrible. All right, but that's not even what makes me so mad because that, that was a while ago. Let's talk about this offseason into this season. Let's take that next step. Let's become playoff contenders. You go out and you trade draft picks and a player and you get Colin Miller and you get Rolik. Guess what happened last week? In fact, you're listening to this on a Friday. It's happening the night before. Healthy scratches. This GM is trading picks and players for guys who are watching the game in the press box along with the freaking media as healthy scratches. That's terrible. You go out and sure, people who want to defend Bacho could say, well, he fleeced Carolina to get Jeff Skinner. He sure did. I'll give him that. But guess what? Is that value really that good? When you give the guy, you commit to him for $9 million a year for eight years, I think $72 million or whatever it is, $9 million a year, and you got guys like Marcus Johansson centering for him, playing on lines with guys like Jimmy Vesey and Curtis Lazar and Wayne Simmons, who's not exactly known as an offensive producer. Get out of here with that bullshit. What a waste. As good as Jeff Skinner is, he ain't helping this team when he's playing with a bunch of bums on a third line. That's on Jason Bacho, which again goes back to trading Ryan O'Reilly to begin with. There's so much more. The Bogosian situation finally caught him. That should have happened weeks before it happened. He traded Scandella too early. He probably could have gotten more if he held on to him. I mean, what the hell? You already got nine defensemen on your roster anyway. Might as well keep him until you get a better offer. Uh, the, the salary cap. This team's in crappy shape when it comes to the cap. And there's not a ton. I talked about this earlier. Not a ton in the pipeline either. Casey Middlestat, eh. Certainly rushed. He should not have been on this team as early as he was. Wait, burned a year of his entry-level contract. He's barely looking okay in the AHL right now from what I hear. And most importantly, and here's the biggest reason why for me, you have Jack Eichel, the best player on the team, the most talented player, maybe in the history of the franchise, certainly among skaters. I mean, you talk about Gilbert Perrault, you talk about Pat LaFontaine, you talk about Pierre Turgeon, you talk about Alexander McGilney. Jack Eichel is as talented as any of them. And guess what? He's rotting away five years into a career after this team for two years tanked to get him or Connor McDavid. Five years later, Jack Eichel's been everything we hoped he would be. Talent-wise, production-wise, he's fantastic. But he's now five years into his career, and forget the playoffs, he ain't even playing for shit when it gets to be early to mid-March. He's playing out the string year after year. This team, point pace-wise, is no better now than when Jack Eichel was a rookie. That's on your GM. That's not debatable. I know there needs to be other changes. 
all the way at the top because this organization as a whole has been an embarrassment all year long with the jerseys, the wrong names, the slugs, game day presentations. I can go on and on for days. That's not on the GM. The GM needs to be a hockey guy first and foremost. So that stuff aside, when it comes to hockey, when it comes to the GM, it's not even a question. Get rid of this guy and do it now. Next. It's getting close and you can smell it in the air. The start of baseball season is almost here. How do I feel about it? I'm extremely excited about it, man. I love baseball. I know this is an unpopular opinion among Buffalo diehard sports fans, but I share the same sentiment. Football is still king for me and always will be. So big Bills guy. But I don't care that much about hockey, not in comparison anyway to the NBA and to Major League Baseball. Hockey for me would be fourth by a lot. In fact, it would be lower than fourth because I like golf more. Then I like uh, hockey. In fact, I like boxing as well, too. So way down the road for me is hockey. I love baseball, man. I'm excited. Lifelong Yankees fan. A little concerned about the team. I know they're still the favorites in the AL, but especially after getting Garrett Cole, but a lot of injuries going on. Severino, Tommy John, he's done. Paxton's going to be out for a few months. Stanton, who knows when he'll be back. He's always hurt. Aaron Judge is being bothered. So lots of injuries going on with this team right now. And the Tampa Rays are a big threat to them in the East. At least the Red Sox aren't. But anyway, yeah, man, I'm really excited. I love baseball. Going to find a way somehow to at least incorporate some segments during this uh, season on the podcast. I'll get a couple guests, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes of baseball talking. Of course, we'll get Buffalo Bisons some talk in there as well. And of course, fantasy baseball, man. I love fantasy baseball. This is my favorite time of year, especially with fantasy sports. Time for mock drafts. I spent a lot of time looking up sleepers, risers, fallers, stuff like that. I'm not a big fantasy football guy. I don't even play hockey or basketball, but fantasy baseball, I live for it that time of year. So very excited about that for sure. All right, last couple. A few of your favorite podcasts to listen to and a few podcasts that you've definitely been influenced by. Very good question. There's a couple of different layers to it in terms of local and by local, I mean podcasts that are made for Buffalo people on the football side, there's a lot to like, but I, more than any of them, I really like the Nick and Nolan show. It's part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Good show, man. And I'll tell you, I've said it many times on this podcast, Bruce Nolan to me is going to be, he's going to be a star. He already is in some circles, but not a lot of people know who he is in mainstream, perhaps because he uses a, a character name from a movie, but his analysis and the Bills, his takes, his voice is second to none, frankly. And I'm talking about the mainstream people too. So anyway, I'm a big fan of the Nick and Nolan show. On the hockey side, I like Beyond the Blade a lot. That's uh, the guys from SB Nation as well. From uh, Die by the Blade, they do their hockey podcast. Chad Dinaminis, Anthony, a couple of those other guys. So on the local side, I like those a lot. On the national side, I like WTF with Mark Marin. And I like uh, Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. Those are two national podcasts that I listen to regularly, faithfully, every week. And uh, kind of learn a lot from them. In fact, to some extent, at least once in a while anyway, my podcast is a little bit inspired by them. Anyway, uh, for purely like entertainment purposes, uh, The Office Ladies, I listen to that regularly now. That's with uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from... The Office, just because I'm such a big Office fan, I'll catch a wrestling pod here and there, but I don't listen to any of those uh, regularly. And then, of course, I at least try to keep up 
with as many local podcasts as possible, like Cover One and Rock Pile Report and Trainwreck Sports, 716 Sports Podcast, just to, like I said, to see what's going on, keep up with uh, all the Buffalo sports, see what those guys are up to. In terms of an influence, uh, I'd say this podcast, I try to make it like a combination of uh, Mark Marin and, say, WGR Sports Talk. I don't want to be completely one or the other, but Mark Marin is, along with Joe Rogan, of course, is the master. Which, by the way, I love Joe Rogan's podcast, but look, man, I don't know about you guys. I might check in on a few minutes of it, but I can't listen to two and a half, three hour podcasts two, three times a week. And that's what Joe does. But anyway, my podcast personally is, tries to be kind of a little bit of the blend. I like to have a guest on sometimes and we talk about that person's life and his career and all kinds of different topics. That's kind of what they do, a conversationalist podcast, but I don't want to limit myself to that. And that's why I have guests on for shorter segments and we talk sports. Kind of like, again, WGR sports talk style. I don't want to be one or the other because I don't want to kind of limit the reach potential. So anyway, those are my favorite podcasts and a couple of them that uh, definitely influenced me. All right, next. Talking passionately or even at all about politics on the podcast or even on Twitter and other social media. That did, I'm not sure if that how that came out, but the the topic was asking why I don't talk about politics much, if at all, on social media or this podcast. Look, I'm going to keep it short and sweet and be completely upfront and honest with you. The biggest reason is it immediately alienates half of an audience, no matter what side you're on. If you are pro Donald Trump, say goodbye to half your audience. If you go on my pod, if I go on my podcast or I tweet about anti Donald Trump stuff, say goodbye to half my audience. Doesn't matter either way. Now, in fairness, some people know the consequence and they don't care. They say what they're going to say and I respect that. But again, I'm just being honest with you, man. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not passionate enough about politics as a whole to lose half an audience because that's the way it goes. Because a lot of people, if you don't agree with them, you're out. They ain't going to listen to you. So it's not worth it to me. So I just assume not talk about it much or talk about it at all. And when I do, like I just had Mark Polenkars on literally on Wednesday's show, my 200th episode. We didn't talk politics. We talked about his life, his career, sports, Twitter, some fun topics. I don't want to talk politics. I don't want to ask him his take on Trump or who he supports or any of this other stuff because, again, I don't want people pissed off. It's just not worth it. People are too consumed with politics, and that's my problem. And I'm not just talking Trump, whether it's Biden or Obama. None of these people are going to directly affect your personal life that much that you need to be obsessed and consumed with it. My mother-in-law, who is an angel, I love her. She's my mother, as far as I'm concerned, not just my mother-in-law. She hates Donald Trump. And every time I go to their house and CNN's on or whatever's on, the second somebody says the word Donald Trump on TV, she goes on a 15-minute rant. It's like obsessed with it. And there's other people too. I know people who are so pro-Donald Trump. That they're the same thing whenever somebody says anything against him. It's just, it ain't worth it, man. Get out there, live your life. They're not going to affect you on a personal level that much. I'm not saying don't be involved. Don't completely detach yourself from politics or caring, but don't let it obsess with your life either. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not going to, if you're waiting for me to talk about shit like that on my podcast, you'll be waiting forever because 
Not going to happen. All right. Last topic. Here we go. What do you got? If you moved away from Buffalo, power rank the five businesses that you'd most want to take with you. Oh, this is a good one. I'm going to put this up on Twitter and I'm very much looking forward to hearing some of the responses as well. Five businesses to take from Buffalo. Well, three of them are absolute, no doubt, no brainers for me. I don't not necessarily in order either. Well, number one is in order. Wegmans is coming with me. Macy's Place Pizzeria is coming with me. And Barbill are coming with me. Those are no-brainers. And by the way, this is not a hypothetical for me because in terms of not living in Buffalo, because if you listen to this podcast, you already know, I've been in Florida for a few years. So those three are easy decisions for me. Wegmans is everything that I wish Publix could be down here. It's Publix times a billion. I've missed Wegmans so much, everything about it. The customer service, the food, the brands. I miss everything about Wegmans. Macy's Place Pizzeria, another easy choice. There are my Mount Rushmore wings, really good pizza. And Florida lacks both badly. Barbell, what more is there to say? Amazing wings and also a beef on Weck, which is in Florida, at least anyway. Now, I know this isn't if you lived in Florida. This could be wherever you moved to. But down here in Florida, beef on Weck, pretty much even, don't, they don't even know what it is, let alone uh, is it available anywhere. So anyway, those are easily three of them. After that, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'm not very high on Tim Hortons at all. And I'm not very high on Mighty Taco is either. I know those are two very popular places in Western New York. And a lot of you probably would put them on your list. Not me, not even in consideration. I'm not that high. I'm fine without either of those. So I got two spots left. And again, I'm in Florida. There's tons of tiki bars. There's tons of spots to drink at. So I'm good with bars. I don't, I don't need to bring any of them from Buffalo with me. There's plenty of good ones, but I don't need those. The pizza down here, mediocre. The wings are trash. The beef on whack, non-existent. Haven't found a good place to have Italian food left. So my last two choices would be Eliotto Palos would be fourth because simply put, that's my favorite Italian food for sure. And uh, last one, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what. It's a staple of mine going back to growing up as a teenager and still up until I moved, gym stakeout. That's a place to go for me at the end of the night when you're drinking a lot and, it's, and you want something to eat, fill you up at the end of the night, there's nothing better for me than a big, fat steak hoagie from Jim's Steakout. And by the way, I'm talking to one on Elman and Delavan or on Allen. Those are the two OGs. I guess you could throw in downtown. That's all right. But all the other ones could go, go, go away. Don't want you. But anyway, Jim's Steakout would be fifth. So yeah, Wegmans, Macy's Place Pizzeria, Barbell, Iliad Apollos, and Jim's Steakout. All right, that's 12 topics. That's going to do it for today. Thank you very much again for listening. If you have not yet done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, rating review, all that fun stuff. Really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast. So appreciate you very much. Also, follow us on YouTube. The YouTube, I just said. (laughs) Moran Analytics podcast channel on YouTube. I have highlight clips from some current and past guests, putting up some original audio content as well from time to time. 
Then, of course, follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Constantly on Twitter, man. I love Twitter. Live on Twitter. Follow me there. And again, thank you so much for listening. I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you that are taking time from your day to listen to this podcast. It means the world to me, man. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Brand new show coming up next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.